This is Together, an Ada Bible Church podcast about the world of marriage, where we attempt to invite you to explore the ways marriage works and doesn't work. From practical ways of learning to biblical inspiration, we invite you to listen to other professionals and couples to help enrich your marriage. Here's your host, Dr. Kelly Bonnewell. Hey, together, friends and family, welcome back to your favorite marriage podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Kelly Bonniewell, and I had the great privilege of interviewing and spending time with Kurt Ellis. Uh, Kurt Ellis is the expert of experts when it comes to adoption. Uh, he has a personal experience with it, and as well as he's a counselor, uh, he has a practice called Families Forever Counseling on the northeast side of Grand Rapids. And uh, I just think you're going to really love this conversation. So if you or anyone else is thinking about adoption or foster care, this is a must listen. Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you again. It's been quite a few years. It has been a long time. Yeah, yeah we got to fix that. Uh, Kurt, so to kind of just ease into this, um, I want our listeners to get to know you just a little bit personally. So you're married, you have a family. I do. So tell me a little bit about them. I'm married to my wife, Carmen. We met at uh, Grand Rapids Baptist College, now Cornerstone University. Uh, Just in January, celebrated our 35th anniversary. High five. Thank you. Um, So we've got four kids, three adult uh, sons who are married and have children and my daughter, who is 17, um, she was adopted from China. And so um, she's a junior in high school. And we were just having coffee this morning before she went to school, talking about her senior year next year. Oh, wow. That's, it's coming way too quickly. <laughs> yeah, big time. They grow up too fast, don't they? They, they do. Yeah, I can't. I bet you're sitting there going, I can't believe my boys are this old. <laughs> and my oldest will be 33 in July. And then I've got my middle son is 30, and my youngest son is 28. And they're all married. My oldest son has one daughter. And so she's our only granddaughter. My middle son has two sons that we get to spend tomorrow with. And then my youngest son, uh, he and his wife are fostering a child, hoping oh, wow. to adopt. So That's great. So you yeah. have a total of four grandkids. Four grandkids. <clears throat> and being a dad is great. Being a grandfather is, don't tell my kids I said this, <laughs> but it's way better. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've heard that multiple times. So um, what do you and uh, Carmen like to do for fun? Oh, we like to travel. Uh-huh. Um, we like to walk and hike and snowshoe and ski and... Um, downhill or cross country? Downhill. Okay, wow. What's one of your favorite places to downhill? We go to Crystal Mountain quite a bit. Okay. Um, we actually did, uh, took our honeymoon there. Uh, we've been out to Colorado a couple times, but usually it's it's local and it's usually Crystal Mountain. Oh, that's great. Um well, let's jump in. Let's talk about adoption. Okay. Um, because that's your primary uh, focus. 
And again, you have three other counselors who mm-hmm. are with your practice and that's all they focus on. Correct. And that's kind of a unique thing, Kurt, because most counselors, they're kind of uh, jack of all trades. Sure. And for your entire practice, your entire life, you've only really focused on adoption. Is that correct? For the last 15 years. Um, and be- trauma and attachment and adoption work, my belief is that it's difficult work. And if if that's not what you focus almost exclusively on, you're not going to do it as well as you should. So, I mean, that's my personal philosophy. Others might disagree with that, but that is the, the route we've chosen to go. And in West Michigan, there's just a huge need. Mm-hmm. West Michigan has a very, very large adoption population. And so it's just, there's a huge need for what we do. Yeah. I think the last time I looked, and this was a long, long time ago, I think it was 12 years ago, we did a search. uh, And at that point at Ada, we had 70 families who had adopted. Um, So yeah, it's, it's very, uh, and again, I keep on hearing, especially in terms of foster care, people really wanting to pursue that. Sure. Um, Key question here. How did you, why did you pursue this? It's kind of a unique niche and uh, why and how and. Well, there's not a short story to that. So, but um, when I got out of graduate school, I started a, a private practice doing mostly marriage counseling. And then I hit the pause button on counseling for five years when, um, when I joined the staff at our church as the youth pastor. And it was during that time that um, through a cousin, the Lord just kind of laid adoption on my heart and my wife's heart separately at first, um, just in talking with my wife's cousin about their recent adoption. He just, laid it on our hearts and we started to, to pray about it and then began to pursue it. We had three kids already and thought our, our family was complete, but God had different plans. So we started to pursue adoption. And then during that time, I started doing home studies for the agency that did our home study. So then after leaving the staff at my church. I went to work for that adoption agency for about three years, uh, both doing home studies and I was a program manager for two of their international programs. But one of the things that I started to see while I was working there is that there was a real shortage of help for families after the the adoption. Um, And so families who were struggling didn't have a lot of resources to to turn to. So I left the agency and started Families Forever Counseling. That And that was 15 years ago. In fact, May 1st will be our 15th anniversary of, of being um, open. Wow, that's like a, just an over a little over in a week. Yeah. That's amazing, 15 years. Sure. And at the time I started it, I I thought... I'll have a nice career as a solo practitioner and um, 
just the need was so great that we continued to add therapists. And um, so, yeah. And now you got those three therapists who are again, totally focused on adoption. Correct. And right now um, we talked about this earlier um, right now, sadly, and this is with a lot of counselors here in 2023, uh, you guys have a waiting list to get in to see you or any of your other counselors um, about how long does it take maybe to see you or one of your counselors? Well, a lot of that is dependent upon flexibility. Uh, we typically have more daytime appointments that come open than we do afternoon and evenings. So depending on the flexibility, it can be you know a matter of a few weeks, um, probably probably within three months. Okay. Uh, you can, you can get in. That's great. I want to go back to, um, you adopting Chloe. Um, cause you said something I think kind of important. There was a point where you and Carmen felt like your family was complete. Yes. And then somehow, and I kind of want to hear that story. Like, how did you get to the point where oh, I think we want to do and cause it was an international adoption. Correct. Um, how did you get to that point where you, what's that story? Okay. So, we had a family Christmas gathering the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving, and this is 20 years ago now or, or more. And Carmen's uh, cousin had, they had just adopted two little boys from Russia. And while our boys and their boys were playing in the gym, we were talking to her cousin and just telling us their story about the adoption and not trying to you know, to, to get us to adopt or anything. And I remember walking out of the gym that night, just with almost as if God was just speaking to me saying, I want you to adopt. Wow. But our family was done and we had, um, we had made that, that decision very clearly. What I didn't know until about two or three months later is that Carmen walked out of the gym that night with exactly the same thought. And so for, I think it was about two months, we both were praying separately about it. And it was two or three months later that one of us, and we don't even remember who at this point, said, have you ever thought about adopting? And found out that we had both been praying about it. And so we decided to continue to pray about it together, but to begin the process and so our original plan was to adopt from Colombia. We mm-hmm. were going to adopt a sibling group from Colombia and had a referral of a sibling group that fell through and at that point decided to switch to China, which in its in and of itself is another story. Um, one of the things that Carmen and I absolutely agreed on right from the beginning is we did not want to adopt an infant. And we had been through that three times and I hear you. That was enough. (laughs) And I had changed enough diapers in my, in my life. So, but never, I I learned through that experience, never to tell God what you're going to do because, because God had different plans for us. And um, through a series of, of events directed us to China and, you know, now we look back on it and of course it was the perfect decision for our family and 
I'm just so grateful that we followed God in, in leading us in that direction. That's so cool. I've heard that story a lot where, you know, uh, the guy is thinking about it and doesn't know his wife is thinking about yeah. it separately. And then eventually there's a conversation and then that is the light switch that gets turned and they yeah. go, they, they go and make that, uh, they go and try to adopt a child. Um, the, uh, when it comes to, so how old, how old were your, uh, how old was your youngest son when you made that decision? He was about eight, I think, when we made the decision to adopt. And when we finally adopted Chloe, he was 11. So it so, took three years. Well, because we started with Columbia, fell through, that fell through, and then we had to, in some ways, start over. And with China, we uh, we got caught kind of in the very beginning of the whole process of, of China adoptions slowing down. So when we started the process, the average wait for, for a Chinese adoption was about six months, and we waited about 18 months. Okay. So, um, but I, I thought about it after the fact, and while we were going through that and the wait was so long, it was discouraging at times. But after the fact, I started to think about it. And if it had gone through in the time frame that was normal at that point, our daughter wouldn't have even been born when we, mm. when we would have finalized the adoption. So, you know, again, God in his perfect timing and, and he just, he, he worked out the circumstances so that Chloe could, could come into our family. That's awesome. How old was Chloe when you, when she came to the United States to be a part of your family? He had just turned a year old. Okay. We, just a year old. Yep. Okay. He, we missed her first birthday by about two weeks. Okay. That's great. Uh, how did your, uh, kind of last question about this. How did your sons feel about you guys, you and Carmen wanting to adopt? Were they excited and different? Nope. They were all on board. That was one of the things that when Carmen and I first started talking about it, we decided our boys were old enough that they were going to have some input into it. And so we had a family meeting and immediately they were on board. And And then they traveled to China with us when we went to pick Chloe up. And so, yeah. When you're counseling people, is that, I take it that's something you really encourage them to do, to talk to everybody in the family, to make sure everybody's on board? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, how, how has, uh, how has Chloe changed your family? <laughs> well, I'd be an empty nester right now, if, if, <laughs> but uh, she has brought so much joy to our family and, um, you know, in so many ways, it's it's just been interesting and and fun and exciting to to watch her develop and mature. And um, you know, now, like I said earlier, there's that kind of that bittersweet of mm-hmm. she's become a beautiful young lady and graduating from high school in a year and kind of grown up. <laughs> yeah, they grow up too fast. And. Raising a daughter was a little bit different than sons. Oh, big time. You know, I coached all of my sons in baseball and soccer and football, and I go to uh, piano recitals now <laughs> <laughs> and choir concerts. That's great. So she's an artiste. She is. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, we're really, a big thing we're directing this podcast at is people who are either A, thinking about adopting or going into foster care, um, or people who have adopted or are doing foster care right now. And uh, so kind of what, as a first step, what do you, like if you're talking to, if right now we're talking to a couple who's thinking about it, what are maybe two or three key things that they need to be mindful of moving forward? Like what are, what are, what's the secret sauce? Sure. Well, first of all, I would recommend that if they're thinking about it and praying about it, that they talk to three or four other couples who have adopted uh, or have done foster care to get and of a, you know, a hands-on perspective. So I would say that's the, the first thing to do. But another thing to do is to understand that, well, adoption is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture of what God did for us. Um, and, and adoption is very much that way. There's also a difficult side to adoption because you will be bringing a child into your family, either through foster care or through adoption that has experienced trauma. And that child is going to have to heal from that trauma. And so I think too often couples focus on the, the really beautiful side of, of adoption and don't necessarily focus on the difficult side as well. So I would say that understanding that balance is absolutely crucial for somebody who's considering adoption or foster care. And that element of trauma, you feel that that is um, the same for international or domestic adoption? Yes. Okay. It's pretty equal in terms of. Yeah. And the level of of trauma can be different, but every child, whether from China, Russia, Colombia, or Grand Rapids, Michigan, they've all experienced trauma, at least in the form of losing birth parents. And I think sometimes that part gets overlooked, that 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 is very traumatic and is life-changing to these kids. And helping the child navigate through healing and understanding that is, is crucial for parents. Gotcha. So uh, you you named a couple, but what, what are maybe some other elements of trauma that you've seen in your practice? Again, that maybe if you're thinking of adopting, you know, you're not even thinking of that dynamic. Sure. Um, especially with foster care, one of the things that we see is multiple placements. So they've been in potentially several different foster homes. So that that is trauma. I've seen abuse. I've seen neglect. And I believe very, very strongly that neglect is actually more traumatic and more damaging to a child even than abuse is. Because neglect, when a child's basic physical needs and more importantly, their emotional needs are not met on a regular basis, they, they begin to internalize that they're worthless, they're, they're bad. And that is really difficult for kids to overcome. And parents have to be very consistent and 
proactive in helping them overcome that. So abuse, neglect, multiple placements, those are probably the ones that we see the most often. You know, and abuse can be physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Maybe substance abuse by the parents. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, like, what's the current situation now with adoption to places? Well, obviously, we're not adopting children from Russia right now. Correct. But uh, I take it's the same for China? China is most of their adoptions now are special needs children. Um, so I don't even know anybody right now who's in the process of adopting what would be considered a healthy child from China. So um, China is pretty much all special needs. Russia is shut down. Uh, Ethiopia, as far as I know, is shut down. When Russia shut down oh, 12 or 13 years ago, Ethiopia was a, a big country, but there was some corruption there, and so that's shut down. And right now, there's not a lot of international or countries that are doing adoptions. India is one that is, Colombia is, so. So what you're saying, Kurt, is we've seen kind of a very significant uh, decline in adoption for uh, international adoption. Yes. When I first started my practice 15 years ago, almost all of my, the families and the kids that I I was seeing were international adoptees. And then when those countries started to shut down, I saw a huge shift in, in domestic adoptions and foster care. And I, I would say, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I would, I would guess that right now, probably 75% of the kids starting in, in counseling with us now have, are either in foster care or have been domestically adopted. Okay. So now, so, cause yes, I've referred a lot of people to you, Kurt. And, you know, I know families who adopted from Ethiopia or Russia or China. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also talked to people who I know had adopted children and they, they had been working with you or within your practice. So what you're saying now is almost, all the work you're doing is with domestic uh, adopted children or children within foster care? I would say most of the new ones are gotcha. domestically adopted or in foster care. I'm still seeing quite a few who were internationally adopted. You know, now they're teenagers and still struggling. But most of the new people coming in are foster care or domestic adoptions. Gotcha. Um, the big deep dive I want us to talk about now is this whole, I, the thing of trauma and attachment, because sure. it's such a, uh, very significant dynamic within adoption. So if you could kind of do a deep dive in like, what is that and how do you treat it? Okay. So every kid who comes in, as I said before, has experienced some level of trauma and conventional wisdom even 15 years ago, was that the younger you adopt a child, the less trauma that they will have. And we're finding that that's not, that's not necessarily true. Um, one of the things we're also, and, and we're, there's a lot of research on this and nobody's really come to any firm conclusions on this, but 
why do some children who have experienced trauma seem to do okay and why do others struggle? So that's, that's an area that's still being explored. But every kid who comes to us has experienced trauma. They've lost birth parents like we talked about. They've, some have experienced abuse, neglect, you know, just multiple placements. And so what that does to a child is, you know, they, they learn to cope. They learn to survive. And most often the, the things that they learn to do to cope and survive are not, they're not healthy responses. We see a ton of kids that really struggle with an intense need to be in control. And they, they try to control everything. Uh, we see kids who, one of the things that the trauma does is it causes them to believe that they're worthless, that they're bad, that the reason these difficult things have happened to them is because there's something wrong with them. And so they have a really difficult time letting people get close to them because they expect if somebody gets close to them, they'll see that that they're bad and worthless and they'll reject them just like everybody else has. And so they really struggle with letting people get close to them. See, the other piece to that is the closer you are to somebody, if you lose them, whether they reject you or, or whatever, the more it hurts. And these kids have been hurt and none of us like to hurt physically or emotionally but their hurt is, is really, really deep and they don't want to hurt again. And so the conclusion they've come to, not necessarily consciously or cognitively, but internally, the conclusion they've come to is I can't let anybody get close to me. And if they try to get too close, I'm either going to pull away or push them away so that when, not if, but when they reject me, it won't hurt as much. So a lot of their coping mechanisms are based on that, not letting people get close. So as a result, we see not letting parents get close. Um, A lot of, especially the older children and teens, struggle with appropriate friendships. Um, Some of them are seeking that, that need for closeness. And I'll pause right here and kind of, explain another aspect of this. I believe very strongly that because we are created in the image of God, we are created with a need for intimacy. Our Mm -hmm. God is a very intimate God, a personal God who created us to have a relationship with him. And because we're created in his image, we have that need as well. Trauma doesn't take that need away. It just makes it really scary to have that need met. So these kids are looking to meet that need and often do so in very inappropriate ways through promiscuity or, you know, a lot of them have a thousand friends and that's an exaggeration. People that they would call friends, but none of them are close at all. Um, Some of them have a friendship for, I was just talking to somebody recently uh, who told me their daughter will have a best friend for two weeks and then something will happen and that friendship will be over and 
she just bounces from friend to friend. And that's the kind of thing that I see quite often. Um, another response to the trauma is fear. You know, we talked about the fear of, of mm-hmm. closeness and getting hurt with a lot of the kids that fear comes out in the form of anger. So we, we deal with quite a bit of anger and rage. And I, I try to help parents understand that it's really fear, but to, for the child to feel fear, that feels weak, powerless. So anger feels strong and powerful, and it feels like they're in control. And the other thing that anger does is it pushes people away. It creates a, a barrier or, or an insulation from that person. So it, you know, it, it keeps that intimacy level lower. Okay, so now uh, the cool thing, Kurt, that you and your team do is you work with, uh, you work both with the children or the teens, and then you also work with the parents. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about first, uh, uh, talk about how you work with a teen or a child who's having some fairly significant attachment issues. Like, how, what do you work on in counseling? So, one of the things that we do is we, help them understand why they're doing the things that they're doing. You know, a lot of times parents come in without an understanding and they want us to help change the behavior. Well, the issues we're dealing with present themselves behaviorally, but they're not behavioral issues. And so one of the, I I think the cornerstones to our, our approach is that we help the, the child understand why they're doing the things that they're doing and also helping them understand that belief that they have that they're bad and they're worthless. Most kids who come in aren't even aware that they have internalized that. And so they don't really have an understanding of why they push people away. They, they look at friendships fail. Nobody invites them to birthday parties, those types of things. And it just kind of feeds into that, that internal belief that they have that I'm bad and I'm worthless. What they don't understand is that they are often without even realizing it, actively pushing those, those people away. And so as we begin to dig into how the trauma has affected them, what the trauma has caused them to believe about themselves, and then how those beliefs affect their behavior we begin to slowly see some changes and we ultimately see behavioral changes, but we're actually dealing with the, the root of the issue rather than the symptoms of the issue. And then uh, how, how are you alongside with that uh, child or teen? How are you working with mom and dad through these issues? A lot of it is the same type of education. Um, When I first started my practice, I was pretty adamant that I would see the child and the parents together because originally when I started, my, my focus was on attachment more than the trauma. And while the two are very related, they're, they're also very separate issues. And, and so even with teenagers, I would see the, the teen and the parents together. But over the course of 15 years, I have changed that 
And most often now I see, especially teenagers without the parents, because in a, it's kind of hard to explain, but the parents from the teen's perspective, from the kid's perspective, the parents pose the most threat to them because the parents adopted this child into their family with the intention of having a close parent-child intimate relationship, and that intimacy terrifies the child. So as a child works really hard to push the parents away, the parents don't get pushed away. They try harder to bring that child closer. So from the child's perspective, that feels really scary. And so I've, I've come to the, to the conclusion that I have to help the child, the teen, heal from that first uh, before they're able to really focus on that relationship with the parents. excuse me, with the parents. And so what I will often do is have supplemental sessions with the parents. Occasionally I'll have sessions with the parents and the child together. Um, And so, but a lot of it is just um, educating and encouraging parents, helping them understand that their child is actually afraid, not, you know, a bad kid, not a, disobedient, disrespectful kid. Gotcha. So uh, I'm going to throw a tough question at you now uh, and I won't hold you to it. Um, But what, what, out of all of the adoptions over the years, um, what, what do you think is a percentage of adoptions that a child is going to maybe struggle fairly significantly with attachment issues? I mean, are we talking yeah. about, well, it's 80% of kids or is it more like 50-50 or is it 25? I again, would, I'm not going to hold you yeah, to it. Sure. That is a great question. Um, I would say that it's definitely less than 50%. I mean, again, we have to understand every kid has experienced trauma. Some kids just by their their temperament and their personality and their resiliency, you know, just like other people who have experienced other traumas, they just seem to handle it well. Um, and I would say that's probably probably the majority. How big a majority, I'm not sure. But I would say that it might be 25% that struggle significantly enough that they need you know, counseling, um, professional help to, to help them work through their, their trauma. It might be a little bit more than that, but I, I would, you know, I want to be careful here because if people listening are going, oh, I have a 50-50 chance of you right, know, having right. a really difficult time, um, I'm not sure I want to sign up for that. So right. I I would say it's probably 25% that struggle significantly. Okay. I, that's uh, Kurt, that's exactly why I bring it up because, uh, you know, there's maybe listeners out there going, thinking, oh, it's 80%. I'm not going to go that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I, and I'm a big fan of what Jesus says. Uh, he says, count the cost. Sure. Um, and you definitely have to do this when you adopt a child, uh, you have to count the cost and are you willing to pay that cost of time and love and patience and all those other fruit of the spirit? Uh, You know, I want to jump in right there because that's a really crucial piece. 
counting the cost, but also understand that if if God has laid adoption on your heart or foster care on your heart, he he will give you what you need to effectively parent that child. Now, I'm not going to say that in the end that child will learn to thrive, but God is calling you to that for a purpose. And often we look at the impact that it's going to have on the child's life, but the impact on the parent's life is just as profound. Um, you know, my, my daughter and I often talk about, about that and us adopting her had a profound impact on her life. I believe she has opportunities before her that she never would have had um, being raised in an orphanage in China. But you asked me earlier mm-hmm. the impact that she's had on our lives, and it's, it's hard to put it into words because I can't point to one specific thing, but she's brought a fullness to our, our life, to our family that has forever impacted me and has made me, I know one way adopting her has impacted me is that I have so much more empathy today than I did 18 years ago before we adopted her. And my three sons will attest to that. (laughs) Um, And it's not something that I necessarily concretely see every day, but when I take a step back and I look at how different I am now 17 years after adopting her than I was before. The change is pretty significant and adopting her and, and submitting to God's will in my life um, is a, is a huge part of that. And so again, it's hard to necessarily define specific ways that it has impacted me or will impact other adoptive parents, but the impact is just as profound on them as it is on the child. And I think that's, that's crucial to understand. Um, following Christ often comes at a cost, mm-hmm. you know, and we have to submit ourselves to his leading and, and guiding in our lives. Well, that's a really beautiful story, especially as you told the first part of it, you know, you and Carmen are separately kind of hearing God's voice about Mm -hmm. adoption and, um, and you walked out onto the water and you made that choice and it's been a massive blessing in your life. So on that note, Kurt, one of the things I'd like you to do, and obviously don't use any names, but do you have any like story? Cause I've, (laughs) Kurt, I've referred, uh, again, I've referred quite a few people to you and I know some of these stories and one or two of them are really difficult stories. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a story that, and maybe it happened a long time ago, so it's maybe not fresh, um, where you worked with a child in a family and they came to the table with some pretty significant problems and now, you know, that young person is in their twenties and, and really tracking well in life. Do you have a story for that? I've, I could probably come up with 10 stories like that just off the top of my head. Um, I remember one family that I was working with where the, 
the young teen just, she didn't want to be there. She was angry at her parents for dragging her to see me every week and would sit in sessions, just glare at me. And, you know, nothing I did seemed to, to break through. And one day she, she came in and I walked into the waiting room and immediately I could see a difference. And we went into my office and sat down. I said, something's going on. What, what's going on? And, and she said, I got up Saturday morning and I just decided I'm tired of being angry. Mm. And it, she was, she was different. Um, another story of a, of a kid um, adopted internationally that again was very angry, left home because he didn't like his parents' rules and I won't go into any details, but I was able to reconnect with him. And I worked with him for quite some time, probably two to three years. And I reconnected with him at much later. And he told me, he said, you poured truth into me, but I wasn't ready to hear it. But the truth was still in there. And then when I was ready to hear it, it made a difference. And that's why you're seeing you know, these things in my life now. And so the hard part is with our counseling, it's, it is such slow, hard work. And we don't see the, the results immediately. In some ways, I, I envy the, you know, the solution-focused therapist that six sessions and we're done. Um, we were two years, three years in some cases. I still occasionally see now young adults that I counseled with early on. And so I've been seeing them for 12 or 13 years off and on. And had one not too long ago, you know, the young man is doing really well. And I said, do we, he said, you're doing really well. And Every time you come in, we're just talking about stuff, you know, we're not even really digging in anything. Do you need this anymore? And he almost had a panicked look on his face and he said, the reason I'm doing well is because I have this every two weeks. I said, wow. Great. We'll, we'll keep doing it until, until I retire (laughs) or (laughs) maybe even after that, we'll just get together for coffee or something. So that's so cool. And, and Kurt, you're hitting on two important points for me. And that is a, that is the blessing and being a counselor of intimately walking with people for, you know, a long time. And Mm -hmm. without a doubt, the work for, with uh, anybody who's dealing with significant attachment issues is long, long work. Yes. Because uh, another dynamic that I definitely see in you, um, you're a very gentle soul and I would guess you got to be a gentle soul to work with kids who are dealing. Cause they, you, they have to, on some level, they're learning how to trust you. Yeah. And then hopefully that domino will fall and those maybe slowly begin to trust others in particular, their parents or their siblings. And I imagine right now they're, 
are people who have played softball with me or that type of thing who are laughing Laughing. hysterically at (laughs) you calling me a gentle soul. That's funny. Well, at least, at least in your office, you're a gentle soul. There is a funny story about that. I, several years ago, um, reconnected with somebody that I knew from my teenage years and uh, she and her husband had adopted some children and uh, she didn't even know what kind of counseling I did, but she called me and said, you know, we're having struggles with our adopted child. Do you know anybody who does that work? And I kind of laughed and I said, well, I do. So she brought her child in and what the first or second session I looked over and she's just like kind of slowly shaking her head. And I, I said, what? She said, you're so different than you were when I knew you, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago or whatever. And so yeah, in my outside of the office, I can tend to be sarcastic and very opinionated, but in the office working with these kids, it something God saw something in me and directed me in this, in this way. And that part of me very definitely comes out. Well, that's really cool too. Cause that, that's another truth. And that is if you are going to become a counselor and, and get good at it, God, God's going to change you just as much as you, you are helping to change the people that you're meeting with. And Absolutely. Without a doubt, God has also softened me a lot. And, uh, so yeah, so this is, uh, we'll, we'll end on this note. Uh, this is a marriage podcast. Sure. Let's talk just a little bit about, um, how have you seen, uh, we'll start, we'll start out, uh, maybe a little bit negative. How have you seen, um, adoption maybe negatively impact marriage and then we'll end on how it impacts it positively. Okay. And maybe you might even have a story or two there. Okay. The negative side of it is often these trauma kids who are very, very difficult can actually drive a wedge between parents. Um, One of the things that I I was kind of thinking about in preparing for this is just being reminded that mom is very often the, the focus of the child's acting out the rage, the, the control and manipulation because Mom has stepped into the role of the person who hurt that child the most unintentionally, intentionally, whatever birth mom choosing not to be the child's mom. The the hurt there is, is almost indescribable. So the adoptive mom has kind of stepped into that role and so the vast majority of the time, she is the target. She's the, the focus of the child's acting out. And often, you know, the other parent, the, the father doesn't, doesn't see that, often thinks that mom, his wife, is, is overreacting. Um, and so it can often kind of drive a wedge between the two. Um, and then just stress a adopting and raising a kid that is really struggling with trauma is stressful. And so um, sometimes it can be financially stressful with all of the different 
things that the child, you know, therapy and other stuff that is required, time. You know, I, I talk to parents a lot who, because, you know, one of the sad realities is they can't find anybody who will take their child for a weekend so that, or even three hours so they can go out and get time together. And mm-hmm. so you, you know that time together is absolutely crucial for a healthy marriage. And when a trauma child doesn't allow that to happen in a marriage, that can be stressful. One of the things that I often tell parents is that the trauma child can also not necessarily create issues in a marriage, but magnifies some of the maybe littler struggles that were already there, maybe unaddressed. Uh, A trauma child can really magnify those and make those way bigger. So those are some of the negatives. And if we stopped right now, nobody would adopt. <laughs> right, right. But, so let's hit on some positives. So people go, okay, there, there is a blood there without a doubt. There's a blessing. I'll give you one um, that I want you to talk about. And then you maybe come up with one more. Um, adoption is so beautiful because God adopted us. Yes. So how has it, maybe altered even subtly your relationship with God or Carmen's relationship with God in terms of you're adopted. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for me and for us, it has shown us. So I'm, I'm somebody who I like to do things on my own. I like to handle things on my own. Um, I, my wife would tell you that I have historically not been really good at delegating. And so I just like to do things on my own. And unfortunately, that has also been a part of my spiritual life. But I think adopting, when we looked at it, and I was a youth pastor, I wasn't making any money to look at where are we going to come up with $30,000 to adopt. And just having to rely on on God. I, I remember... Um, you know, times where, you know, you hear the stories about, oh, I had this bill that was due and I mm-hmm. went to the, the mailbox and there was a check mm-hmm. there for the exact amount. I don't have that story, but I do have, I remember um, going to the mailbox and somebody that I wasn't real close to, you know, there was a card from that individual and walked in and opened it up and there's a check for $500. And they said, we don't feel, you know, as a family, we don't feel called to adopt, but adoption is, you know, it, it's important and we want to help you. Oh, and, that's cool. And we had many stories like that. So it has just helped me and, and my wife just understand that we're not in control and we can't do anything to control this, this life. God is in control and... If we follow his his direction, it always works out for our good. I think he promises that in his word that yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, I think that a happens. couple times. Yeah. So, um, and I think one of the things that it's partially um, the adoption has done is just um, really caused a contentment in me that hasn't always been there, mm. um, and. So, I mean, there's other circumstances at play in that as well, but 
as I uh, take a step back and look at that, that is very definitely a part of it because I mean, on one hand, adopting and having to come up with all of that money financially set us back and, you know, we weren't able to do some of the other things that friends of ours were able to do. And, you know, at times there was a struggle with, you know, jealousy, envy, that type of thing. But when I stop and look at just the, the joy and the fullness that she's, Chloe has brought to our family, that contentment just is, is overwhelming. Wow, Kurt, that's such a beautiful story. And I think that's a great uh, spot to end. Before we fully end, I want you to, uh, like, I got a feeling there's going to be some people out there who want to connect with you and your team for your services. So first, where, where is your office? We're located on the East Beltline uh, between Five Mile and Plainfield in the Pines office park. And then the, the name of your agency is forever families, families, forever counseling, forever families counseling. And you can find that online. Yep. Families forever counseling.com. And then how about a telephone number? 616-217-8612. Awesome. We'll also post that on, on the show notes. Okay. Um, Kurt, Thank you so much for being here. This was a great episode. We've never done a deep dive on adoption. And I just, again, I know a lot of people who are thinking about it. Uh, This week, I met with two different people, two different couples who are thinking of doing foster care. And so, uh, you know, I think this is just a really valuable episode with a lot of really good information. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I feel like I've learned so much and I hope you have that you feel the same big thing that we would love to have for you is just how have you been impacted by together? We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear if you have any ideas of topics that you want to talk about. Uh, We are right now in the planning stages of season six and we're getting really excited for that. Uh, So don't forget you can email us with any questions or comments that you have and Lastly, uh, it's so important that you subscribe and rate the podcast that gets more listenership for us. So again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Together. We hope you've learned a thing or two. If you find the podcast helpful, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your listening platform. Leave a comment and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like more information on Ada Bible Church and its ministries or someone to pray or dialogue with about your marriage, go online and check out our website at adabible.org.